Um, it's a joy today for, for me to be able to introduce uh, our speaker for the day. Um, he's uh, the father to our senior pastor, um, Bruce and Connie. Thank you for coming today and sharing with us. Uh, Bruce and Connie have been in ministry more than both Ryan and I have been alive. <laughs> so it's a good treat for you guys today. And so welcome, Bruce, and God bless you, sir. Thank you. Be here, you know, uh, when you when you when you have the father of your pastor come to preach for you, you probably expect me to stand up here and tell some stories on Ryan. Um, I don't have any. No, no. I'm, I mean, there probably could be some, but you know, Ryan I may have told some of you this before, but. You know, Ryan came home from the hospital after he was born, and we propped him up in the corner, and 18 years later, he left. I mean, he didn't need to be raised. He just was that. Connie and I kind of know how Joseph and Mary felt. Like, you know, come on, Lord, don't you need us to parent him a little bit? And, and then the Lord answered that prayer when the second son came. So that was a different story, but, uh, but the Lord has blessed us with two wonderful sons and so, so many uh, blessings in terms of our grandchildren as well. And I would show you pictures of them, but you, can, you see them all the time. So uh, I, won't, I won't bore you with that. But it is a, uh, always a distinct pleasure to worship with the Broadway family. Uh, you have a special congregation here and a special, um, special leaders, and I'm not just talking about Ryan, and, and how you conduct your service. It's, it's very touching, and it's very powerful. And um, I, it's just a tr tremendous joy for me to be, just, just to worship with you today, and to share uh, God's Word is also very special. I, uh, I have been in ministry for a number of years, and the last several years I've been working as a, a denominational representative and I work with churches in American Baptist churches in Indiana, Kentucky, primarily in the northern half of the state. And uh, so I'm in a different congregation, a different church every Sunday. Uh, this summer, I've been on sabbatical, and uh, what a privilege it has been to talk with pastors and churches, particularly about the matter of corporate prayer and how prayer figures into the ministry of the life of the congregation. And I've been able to uh, be, glean some tr tremendous truths and insights about that that I'll be able to share with uh, our, our pastors later. But uh, this morning, however, I understand uh, you're working through the book of Philippians. And so I'll be looking at the, the, the Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 here this morning. We think about this passage and then the context it is in which it rests. Um, we've been talking, talking about peace. Everyone seeks for peace in their hearts. It's a universal, powerful urge to have, to be at home, to be restful in ourselves. And often the search for peace is a desperate one because it eludes us so frequently. There are aspects of our heart within us that work against peace. We've, we talked a minute, I mean, we sang a minute ago about, about the, the, the fact that the Lord pursues us in our brokenness and in our dry, dryness. We're all just broken bones. 
And so sometimes peace eludes us because of the fact that we mess up and we kind of carry behind us this sense of turmoil and we create that for ourselves. And you add that to the fact that we live in a tumultuous world anyway. And so peace can be something that's very, very difficult for us to find. And on top of that, we live in a culture, well, we live in that fast food culture where we want everything right now and we think everything should come to us easily. And it should be an easy thing for us to to find peace. And so it needs to come quickly as well. It's like patience. You know, we want peace, we want patience, and we want it right now. and, And it's just not there. Peace is something that's not dependent, however, upon our situation and our circumstances. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of where we are inside. It's a condition of the heart. It's not a feeling. It's a quality of life, a product or an outcome of something else other than the circumstances around us. Paul has something to say about this in this regard, and we're going to unwrap these, uh, these words today. And so I'm going to look at, I guess this thing is not working. I've heard that, that ha- this has problems before. Could we have the elders come and lay their hands on this? <laughs> oh, you know something? I pressed the wrong button. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Please do that. That'll come later. Um, yeah, I was trained on how to use this, and then... I just won't tell you any more about it. Let's just see. Okay, look at that. There we go. We're going to be looking at this passage here, a couple of verses from uh, chapter 4 of the book of Philippians. And so finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things that you have learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them, and the God of peace will be with you. Oh, God, we pray to you today to help us to understand your word. Open us up, Lord, to the truth of this word and this passage today. Let us walk out of here, Lord, changed because you have touched us, changed because your word has been illuminated to us. And I pray that, Father, not so that I would speak your word, but so that you would speak it. Lord, if you don't have anything to say today, or if you don't speak, whatever I say is worthless. So we ask for your anointing today upon our time. In Jesus' name, amen. By the time we get to this passage in chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, Paul has laid a foundation that that helps us understand it. And so I'm going to run through some of the past, some of the verses and, uh, in the book of Philippians here to begin with this morning. So you understand that as Paul says this, these are, this is just not dropping out of thin air. This particular passage is, is, is built upon a foundation that's so significant. And so he starts right from the very, very begin, uh, the beginning in chapter 1 of the book of Philippians and says, For to me, living is Christ as, and dying is gain. Part of the foundation for this idea of having peace is the fact that Christ is to be first. Christ is the foundation of it all. And then he goes on in chapter 2 and he says, Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And so he elevates the example of Christ in this book. 
And he talks about how we need to have that same selfish kind of attitude that Christ had in, in order to, to, to live out the kind of blessing that he would, he would um, give to us. And then he, this particular, well, that's kind of small for you, isn't it? Well, just believe me when I'm saying these words here that this is, what's, this, is what this passage says. Who, through, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. But emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name given to Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. And so this passage talks about the example of Christ, the kind of mind that Christ had, has. It's not as if people just, God, Paul and Scripture just says, follow Christ. He gives some examples of who Christ is, some concrete examples. And this particular passage is so rich with the uh, with the, uh, the story and the personality and the person of Christ that we can have much to, to, to learn from him. And then we get to verse 16 of this chapter. He says, holding forth the word of life so that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So Paul is saying the purpose that we have, the very, the very essence of the life we live, if we're to find if we're to find something solid, if we're to have an anchor, it is to be based upon the purpose of living for Jesus Christ. And then we get to the third chapter. And he says, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And part of this foundation that Paul is laying, is, he is simply saying that anything we can gain in this world pales in comparison to what Christ gives to us. It is nothing. It's as rubbish. And so we look at the, the way we are tempted to live sometimes. We, are look at, we look at the, the commercials that are given to us that says, if you follow this, if you have this, if you do this, if you experience this, if you weigh, wear this, then you will be in and you will have it. All that is nonsense. When we think about who Christ is, and when we compare that to the, to the rich anchor and foundation that Christ provides for us, for truly all those other things, that we yearn after, like one of the songs of our, of our faith say, the things that charm us most, they're nothing. They can be so easily taken away from us. But Christ remains. That's a foundation to live upon, friends. And then uh, he, he, he says further in chapter 3, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have laid hold of it, but one thing I have laid hold of, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, toward the prize of the heavenly call of God 
in Christ Jesus. The whole idea that of laying down those things, counting them as rubbish, but then laying down those things and picking up and straining, racing, yearning passionately for those things that are before us in Jesus Christ. And then he comes to chapter 4 and says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace, Paul says, comes by praying to this Jesus. Laying our hearts and our souls, bearing our, ourselves to this Jesus and the peace of God will come to us. And then we, then, then you see, we have this, this passage here that, we've, that I read a few moments ago. So please read this with me as we, as we continue. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is any thing worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things that you have learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them and the God of peace will be with you. Without the context that we had, in, in the whole book of Philippians. Saying these words today sort of sounds like that trite advice that you have either heard or maybe even given to others. Just don't worry about it. Just don't think about it. That is kind of trite. But when you put that into connection with what Paul has said to us already, we find that we have a formula we have a way that we can have peace within us regardless of the circumstances that we face in life. You see, the peace that passes all understanding is built upon spiritual strength, spirit, scriptural truth. It's based upon the patterns of thought, thought that we cultivate across the span of our lives. It's sort of like that little children's song that I used to sing in in. in, in uh, Sunday school, maybe you sang it too. Be careful, little feet, where you go. You remember that one? Be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Lord up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little feet, where you go. You can sing it with me. Hands. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little hands, what you do. For the Lord up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Lord up above is looking down in love. For be careful, little eyes, what you see. So I don't think this verse was in there, but this is the verse we're going to sing today. Be careful, little mind, what you think. Be careful, little mind, what you think. For the Lord up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little mind, what you think. Be careful, little mind, what you think. You see, when it comes down to it, we have peace when we think right. We have peace when we think right. 
Paul talks here about thinking about things that are true and honorable. The nature of reality, truth, honorable, denotes what is reverent, what is venerable, what is what is uplifting. And see, this these two these two words have to do with thinking right spiritually. There's there's something that is right and something that is not right in the areas of science and math and geography. But the same is true for spiritual truth. There's something that is right and wrong about truth. But today we've been sold the myth that truth is, you can find it in the mirror. Whatever you say is true is true for you. And that is the, that is the end of it. But the problem is, deep inside of us, we know that, that we're imposters when it comes to truth. That we can't develop our own truth. We, and we should not trust it. So Paul here says, you know, there's, there's been something that's given to us that describes and defines truth for us. Right here it is, friends. And so don't trust yourself. Trust what's written here. And what will happen is that will change yourself, that will change your heart so that you can begin to become one with the Spirit of God and then move forward with some confidence and peace. Truthfully, the Word of God provides that for us. Paul then talks about what is, that we should think about what is just and pure, what is righteous, what is holy. There is something right and there is something that is wrong. There's a difference between morals that are polluted and those that are pure. There's a difference between ethics that are holy and ethics that are unholy. There are standards of behavior that, that have consequences for us. Thinking meditating, concentrating on those that are just and pure, that, af- that affects our lives. It creates for us a pathway because of how we think and how we decide. He talks about thinking of things that are pleasing and commendable. What is pleasing? What is commendable in terms of our relationships with others, for example? What assumptions do we hold for or about other people? You see, your assumptions that you have about people in general will affect how you treat them. And oftentimes, it's reflected right back to us. If you walk up to somebody and your attitude is, you know something, I really think that you want to fight today, then what you're going to hear is, okay, let's go for it. You know, it's just, it's just possible to have this attitude that no one is trustworthy. Everybody's out to, to get something from me. And that's easy to think that today, isn't it? But having an assumption that, that Jesus Christ can actually work and transform others and other people can be changed from within, just like we've been changed within, that changes our relationship and our approach to others and makes us the salt in the earth the salt of the earth and the light of the earth. Your assumptions about people do determine how you treat them. In contrast, think about what is pleasing or commendable. It changes our approach and our perspective. In fact, it changes our relationships with others as a whole. Think about what is excellent and worthy. This has to do with our motivations. Motives are the seeds of life. They should be tested. 
Measure your motives according to what is excellent and worthy. The the impact of thinking about all these things, the impact of taking to heart what is given in all these things, all that you see is cumulative. We sow seeds day by day by concentrating or thinking or letting our mind be occupied with one thing or another. And everywhere we go in our lives and all the time we spend in our lives thinking in one way or another turns out to be the seeds that produce a particular pathway or particular fruit for us. That pathway, that fruit turns out to be spiritual, ethical, relational, motivational, all those things a piece at a time by the thoughts that we sow in our heart. You may have been or maybe you've seen uh, pictures of those stalactites in Mammoth Cave. These mammoth cones of minerals that form over scores of years, one drop at a time. One drop at a time. And our behaviors, our life, a path that we have in our lives is formed one drop at a time. And if we're not careful about what drops we let come into our lives, we take one little step at a time, and all of a sudden we're a far away away from where we started. But it only happens one step at a time. One little compromise after another. It's an accumulation of all these things that drip into our lives and take root. Well, Paul then comes to this passage, and he says, okay, I'm going to give you a case study And Paul is the case study. Paul took all these things to heart. This is the voice of experience that he's giving to us here. He challenged them to think these uh, these things and uses himself as an example. Paul considered, suggested that we consider how we are to speak. He talks about praising things, which is a thing we do audibly, correct? Use the right vocabulary. Think about how you say things. Think about how you talk how you describe situations and how you do that changes your view of them, how your, your view is then will change how you respond to them. A little trick that, that you might want to use, for instance, if there's something that you don't really want to do, you'd probably say, oh, I have to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to get my homework done. I've got to, you know, I've got to have this conversation at work. I've got to go to work. If you just change it just a little bit, and say, I get to do that, changes your whole mentality. I get to go to work. I, 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 I get to have this conversation. You see, that's a, that's a whole different mentality because it empowers you instead of cower, causes you to cower. Changing the way we talk. Here's a... Here's a uh, story of, t- of uh, uh, two approaches to uh, uh, that somebody wrote up with respect to them being fired from their job. Okay? Let me just read these two because they, they're different. Today was the worst day of my life. I was asked to leave my job. I had been there for 10 years and it helped the company grow to where it is today. I gave everything to that place. I can't believe they did this to me. I'm so angry and ticked off. And what am I supposed to tell people now? 
I'm ashamed to be out of work and don't know what I'm going to do next. This is an absolute nightmare. Or it could be said this way. Today I was asked to leave my job. I'd been there for 10 years and had helped the company grow. I'm sad to leave, but also excited to see what's next for me. I gave them everything, and now it's time to give my energy to other things. I'm looking forward to having more time with, for my husband and daughter. I'm also going to go to the gym and finally get in shape. There are so many things I wanted to try, and now I can. I'm excited and also a little anxious. And see, the second one was at least, it didn't say that everything's rosy. But it says, you know something? I can look at this differently. And it changes, the way we talk changes the way we respond and act in circumstances. And you know, without knowing that we may build a prison out of the very words that we use to describe our circumstances. Watch, for instance, how often you use words that build that prison. How often do you use describe circumstances with words like disaster, crisis, suffering, impossible, hopeless? How often do you use those words of crisis rather than the words of faith? Words like hope, words like opportunity, words like ambition, words like excitement. It changes us when we speak differently. Paul could have described his circumstance in life in an entirely different way. He could have seen his life as a disaster, but instead he saw his life as one that was Christ-filled and he followed Christ. And so he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And if if Paul would have described his, his circumstance like we see on the news these days, we wouldn't have the book of Philippians. We wouldn't be here today talking about it. It's how he spoke. Speaking also is addressed by the questions we ask. For instance, what what question do we all ask or consider when we encounter a challenge? It's always this one. Why? Right? Why? But the big difference is not that you ask the question why, but how you respond afterwards. How about asking that question and then saying, how can this challenge empower me rather than diminish me? Or Or else, what new opportunities can I find that are now possible because of this? Or what could this dismal season be protecting me from that is far worse? What can I focus on? What steps should I take now? How long should I let this struggle define me before I accept and move on in the next phase of life? Or for what can I be grateful? How can I be thankful in this? Now, again, I want to just pause right here and remind you who who is really writing these words to us today in Philippians. It's somebody who had been betrayed and double-crossed and who had been obedient and suffered because of it. So Paul is not just being trite here. I want you to understand that. It's important that we understand that. Paul is saying, think on these things because this changes life. He asked different questions and that empowered him to tell a different story. 
What stories do you tell about yourself? Listen to them. Those stories define how you think and believe. Our self-stories can further entrap us or they can release us. They are an anchor. And an anchor can get you stuck, right? But an anchor can also be something you can hold on to in the middle of the storm. Which one is it for you? Which story do you tell? And see, this is not just positive thinking. Paul again said in, verse, in chapter 1, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped the spread of the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. It's not just positive thinking. It's faithful thinking. And that brings us to the final point here this morning. What is the source of our peace? What is the source of our peace? Our assurance is based upon Jesus Christ. Look at the last line in this passage. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Boy, this is stated through Scripture again and again and again. One of the most common greetings that, we, that you find in Scripture is grace and peace from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we look for. We can't look just for grace and peace. We have to look for grace and peace that's in Jesus Christ. That's where we find it. Or some of, some of these other verses that point to this. For instance, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God, not because we're good people, not because we're, you know, rich or poor, not because we're successful or failures. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's where it's going to be found. Or in Colossians chapter, chapter 1, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Peace, the peace of God comes by having peace with God. When that is settled, there is an anchor within us. There is a foundation within the heart that supersedes, overcomes all circumstances. It's not the result of chance, but of where or, or rather because or, or, or whom we find it. Peace is in the heart. Jesus mentioned something about that one time. He said, where your treasure is, so will your heart be. And most time it's stewardship time of year. We always talk about that in terms of wealth, you know. And I guess treasure has that meaning in terms of, of, of what it means, but, but it's more than that. Treasure is your hope. 
anybody who doesn't think hope is a treasure hasn't felt hopeless. Treasure could be your goals, what you pursue in life, because people will lay down everything for their goals. Consider this, the greatest treasure that you have is your heart, is your mind. That's the most precious possession you have. Where your treasure is, where your mind is, so will your heart be also. What goes into your heart, what you take into your mind will either add to or diminish your peace. So think right. Think right. This passage in the book of Proverbs, this verse in the book of Proverbs brings that forward. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. If there's any, anything we should be diligent about, if there's anything that we should invest our energies in, it should be to build a bulwark around our heart. Because wherever our heart goes, that's where the rest of our lives are going to go as well. And if our heart is built upon and anchored upon the truths of Scripture and the truths of, that Jesus Christ is our Lord, is our Savior, and His Spirit is guiding us, then that changes everything. But here's the thing. Just like any, anything you do that would improve your physical health, the same thing is true with our heart health. We have to practice it. Remember a commercial one time, you've probably seen it, where this guy is at the gym and he walks into the gym and he stands on the, on the, on the scale and he looks at how much he weighs and he takes one lap around the gym and he stands on the scale again and goes, something's got to be wrong with this. I just took a lap. You know, you can't just say one prayer and think it's going to be all done. can't come to church one Sunday. You can't invest yourself in, in, in one passage of Scripture and then just think it's going to be all changed. It's a practice. It's how we live. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And may those springs emerge out of your life with Jesus Christ. And God Almighty, let your people Watch over their heart. Help us to do that, Lord, so that you might reign within us. And as the praise team comes forward right now, Lord, we ask that you would, in the remaining moments of this service today, transform us and put us in a place where we're starting, we're starting to think right, we're continuing to do those things that will create in us a haven of rest and peace through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.